Hey everybody, this is Heather from Crimezilla, and you're listening to the Crimezilla podcast, the show that explains true crime in a deeper light. And for the people who love true crime, this is your podcast. Good morning, everybody. I hope everyone's having a good day. So today we're going to be talking about Robert Picton, or Willie as he was known. He's a Canadian serial killer and a former pig farmer. He is suspected of being one of the most prolific serial serial killers in Canadian history. After dropping out of school, Picton soon began working full-time at his family's pig farm. And we all probably heard about what happened when police went on his property. But we're going to be talking about that a little bit more. So grab whatever you need, your coffee. I have a Tim Hortons coffee right now because I need some caffeine, you guys. <laughs> Mason just started sleeping like pretty much through the night now. So I think we figured out that issue, but now I have to catch up. And we all know that that's not possible on a bunch of sleep. So yeah, so sit back, relax, and listen to the story of Robert Picton. or as he is known as Willie, was born on October 24th, 1949. His dad was Leonard, and his mother's name was Louise. His family were pig farmers in Port Coquitlam. Before he was sent, or sorry, before he was born, his older sister Linda was sent to live with relatives in Vancouver as their parents thought that a pig farm wouldn't be an appropriate place to raise a lady. Robert and his younger brother, David, began working at the farm very early. Louise was very demanding, prioritizing the pigs over the brothers' personal hygiene and forcing them to work long hours raising the farm's livestock. So their mother would send them to school in unwashed, dirty clothes, reeking of manure, and earning the brothers the nicknames, quote-unquote, stinky pigs from their classmates. That is so bad. That's so bad. Like, it's sad that she would prioritize the pigs over her own children. Like, you might as well just send them out into the farm and the yard and just live out, outside. It's pretty much what you should do because at that point, I think it's too far gone. Picton was strongly attached to his mother and had little interaction with his abusive father. When he was in his early teens, he used... He used his savings to buy a calf, which became his beloved pet. One day after failing to find it after school, he was told by his mother to check the barn where he was heartbroken to find it slaughtered. Oh, that's so sad. As a little boy and you love this calf and all of a sudden it's dead. Oh, Picton dropped out of school in 1963 at the age of 14 and acquired a position as a butcher's apprentice. In 1970, he left his apprenticeship to work full-time at the family farm. 
His father died in 1978, and his mother died the following year, leaving the farm to the, leaving the farm to, Picton and his two other siblings. Linda and Dave did not want the farm, so David took the house over, and Robert began running the farm on his own while living in a remote area of the property in a trailer. Working, um, an employee on the farm named Bill Hiscox called the farm a creepy-looking place and described Robert as a pretty quiet guy who occasionally had bizarre behavior, despite no evidence of substance abuse. brothers began to neglect the site's farming operations. They registered a non-profit charity called the Piggy Palace Good Times Society with the Canadian government in 1996, claiming to organize, coordinate, manage, and operate special events, functions, dances, and shows on behalf of service organizations, like sports organizations and other worthy groups of that. Its events included raves and wild parties featuring sex workers and gatherings in a converted slaughterhouse on the farm at 953 Dominion Avenue in Port Coquitlam. These events attracted as many as 2,000 people. Members of the Hells Angels were known to frequent the farm. On March 23, 1997, Picton was charged with the attempted murder of a sex worker named Wendy Esther. You all know that I'm horrible with last names. Whom he had stabbed several times during an altercation at the farm. Wendy told police that Robert had handcuffed her, but that she did escape after suffering from several lacerations. She told him that she, dis that she had to disarm him and that she stabbed him with his own weapon. Picton sought treatment at Eagle Ridge Hospital while Wendy recovered at the nearest emergency room. He was then released on a $2,000 bond. The charge was dismissed in January 1998. Months later, the Pictons were sued by Port Coquitlam officials for neglecting the property. The Pictons ignored the legal pressure and held a 1998 New Year's Eve party and after party. <laughs> uh, the police banned future parties, so this was totally illegal. The police were authorized to arrest and remove any person attending future events at the farm. The society's nonprofit status was removed the following year. Over the course of three years, Bill, the farm worker, noticed that women who visited the farm frequently and eventually they would go missing. On February 5th, 2002, police executed a search warrant for illegal firearms on the property. 
Robert and David were arrested and police obtained a second search warrant using what they had seen on the property to search the farm as part of the BC missing women investigation. <laughs> like this property must have been a fucking disaster, you guys. It must have been because if police come in and they're looking for firearms and then they look around and they're like, there's something going on here. Like, I can only picture what that property looked like in my head, and it's disgusting. Personal items belonging to missing women were found on the farm, including a prescription asthma inhaler belonging to one of the missing women. The following day, Robert Picton was charged with storing a firearm contrary to regulations, possession of a firearm while not being holder of a license, and possession of a loaded restricted firearm without a license. Both of the Pictons were later released. However, Robert was kept under police surveillance. On February 22, 2002, Robert Picton was arrested and charged with two counts of first-degree murder in the deaths of Serena Abbotsway and Mona Wilson. On April 2, three more charges were added for the murders of Jacqueline McDonnell, Diane Rock, and Heather Bottomley. A sixth charge for murder of Andrea Josbury was laid on April 9, followed shortly by a seventh, Brenda Wolfe. On September 20th, four more charges were added for the murders of Georgina Pappen, Patricia Johnson, Helen Halmark, and Jennifer Irvin. Four more charges for the murders of Heather Chinook, Tanya Hollick, Sherry Irvin, and Inga Hall were laid on October 3rd, bringing the total number to 15. That's insane. That's crazy. Like, how do you get away with that? This was the largest investigation of any serial killer in Canadian history. On May 26, 2005, 12 more charges were laid against Picton for the killings of Cara Ellis, Andrea Borhaven, Deborah Jones, Maureen Frey, Tiffany Drew, Carrie Kosky, Sarah Verris, Cynthia Felix, Angelina Jardin, Wendy Crawford, Diana Melnick, and Jane Doe, bringing the total number of first-degree murder charges, you guys, to 27. Holy moly, 27. That's crazy. Excavations continued at the farm through November 23rd, making the cost of the investigation to have been $70 million by the end of 2003, according to the provincial government. As of today, the only thing that is still on the farm is a small bar barn. Sorry, barn. <laughs> the 
The horrifying details of what Robert Picton did will forever remain in history. You can take away the ugliness of the buildings and the property, but you can't change that he murdered 27 people that we know of. Forensic analysis proved difficult because the bodies may have been left to decompose or been eaten by insects and pigs on the farm. During the early days of, of excavation, forensic anthropologists brought in heavy equipment, including two 50-foot flat conveyor belts and soil sifters to find traces of human remains. On March 10th, 2004, the government revealed that Picton may have ground of human flesh mixed with pork that he sold to the public. That's fucking disgusting. The province's health authority later issued a warning. Another claim he was that, sorry, another claim was made that he fed the bodies directly to his pigs. Picton's trial began on January 30th, 2006 in New Westminster. Picton pled not guilty to 27 charges of first-degree murder in the Supreme Court of British Columbia. It took almost a year to determine what evidence might be admitted before the jury. Reporters were not allowed to disclose any of the material presented in the arguments. On August 9th, Justice Williams served the charges, splitting them into one group of six counts and another group of 20 counts, with one being dismissed. Holy moly. The date for the jury trial for the first six counts was initially set for January 8, 2007, but was later postponed to January 22nd. On that date, Picton faced first-degree murders for the charges of death of Frey, Abbotsway, Josbury, Wolf, and Wilson. For the first time, Canadians heard the horrifying details of what was found during the investigation. Skulls were cut in half with hands and feet and stuffed inside. The remains of one victim found stuffed in a garbage bag and her blood-stained clothing found in Picton's trailer. Part of another victim's jawbone and teeth found beside Picton's slaughterhouse and a 22 caliber revolver with an attached dildo contained both his and the victim's DNA. Oh, that's fucking gross. Can you imagine what these women went through? Like, it is horrifying. Picton claimed to have attached the dildo to his weapon as a makeshift silencer. Yeah, okay. As of February 20th, 2007, the following information was pre presented to the court. During Picton's trial, lab staff testified that about 80 unidentified DNA 
roughly half male and half female had been detected on evidence. The items found inside Robert's trailer were a 22 revolver with a dildo over the barrel and one round fired. Boxes of 357 Magnum handgun ammunition, night vision goggles, how fucking creepy is that? Two pairs of fur-lined handcuffs, and a syringe with three milliliters of blue liquid inside. A videotape of Picton's friend, Scott Chubb, saying Picton had told him a good way to kill a female is to inject her with windshield washer fluid. A second tape was played for Picton, in which an associate named Andrew Bellwood said Picton mentioned killing sex workers by handcuffing and strangling them, then bleeding and gutting them before feeding the pigs. Photos of the contents of the garbage found in Picton's slaughterhouse, which held some of the remains of Mona Wilson. In October 2007, a jury was accused of having made up her mind already that Picton was innocent. The trial judge questioned the juror, saying, It was reported to me, you said, from what you had seen, you were certain Mr. Picton was innocent. There was no way he could have done this. The court system had arrested the wrong guy. The juror denied this completely. Justice Williams ruled that she could remain on the jury since it had not been proven she made those statements. On December 9th, 2007, the jury returned a verdict that Picton was not guilty on six counts of first-degree murder, but is guilty on six counts of second-degree murder. A second-degree murder conviction carries a punishment of a life sentence with no possibility of parole for a period between 10 to 25 years to be set by a trial judge. On December 7, 2007, Sorry, did I say December 7th? I meant December 11th, 2007. <laughs> After reading 18 impact statements, Judge Justice James Williams sentenced Picton to life with no possibility of parole for 25 years. He said to Picton that he cannot know the details, but he knows that what happened to the victims was senseless and despicable. The BC Court of Appeal rendered judgment in June 2009 on two appeals one brought by the Crown and the other brought by the defense. On January 7, 2008, the Attorney General filed an appeal in the British Columbia Court of Appeal against Picton's acquittals on the first-degree murder charges. The grounds of appeal related to a number of evidentiary rulings made by the trial judge, certain aspects of the trial judge's jury instructions, and the ruling to serve the six charges Picton was tried on from the remaining 20. Some relatives of the victims in the case were taken back by the announcement of a Crown appeal, especially because Attorney General Wally Opal had said a few days earlier that the prosecution would likely not appeal. Although Picton had been acquitted on the first-degree murder charges, he was convicted of second-degree murder and received the same sentence as he would have on first-degree. The relatives of the victims expressed concern that the, that the convictions would be jeopardized if the Crown argued that the trial judge had made some errors. Opposition critic Leonard Krong criticized the Attorney General for not having briefed the victims' families in advance. Opal apologized to the victims' families for not informing them of the appeal before it was announced to the general public. Can you imagine like, finding that out? like through just like social media or TV or on the news or on your radio. 
and like not hearing it from the person that's supposed to be keeping you updated, I would be pissed. I would be so mad. Opal also said that the appeal was filely, filed largely for strategic reasons in anticipation of an appeal by the defense. The prosecution's rationale was that if Picton appeals his convictions and if that appeal is allowed, resulting in a new trial, the prosecution will want to hold that new trial on the original 26 charges of first-degree murder. But the Crown would be precluded from doing so unless it had successfully appealed the original acquittals on the first-degree murder charges and the severance of the 26 counts into one group of six and one group of 20. Like, why not just charge him for everything all at once? That's what I would do. Under the ap applicable rules of the court, the time period for the Crown to appeal expired after 30 days after December 9th, when the verdicts were rendered. While the time period for the defense would appeal expired 30 days after December 11th. When Picton was sentenced, uh, this is why the Crown announced its appeal first, even though the Crown appeal is intended to be conditional on an appeal by the defense. If the defense has not filed an appeal, then the Crown could have withdrawn its appeal. Like, wow. On January 9, 2008, lawyers of Pictons filed a notice of appeal in the British Columbia Court of Appeal seeking a new trial on six counts of second-degree murder. The lawyer, the lawyer representing Picton on the appeal was Jill McKinnon, who had been a Crown prosecutor in the 1970s. The notice of appeal... Yeah, it's crazy, you guys. In which the defense alleges that the trial judge made mistakes. Who cares? The guy's guilty. Like, just send him to prison. On June 26, 2009, Picton's lawyers confirmed that they would exercise his right to appeal to the Supreme Court of Canada. The appeal was based on the dissent in the British Columbia Court of Appeal. While Picton had an automatic right to appeal to the Supreme Court of Canada based on the legal issues on which Justice Donald had dissented, Picton's lawyers applied to the Supreme Court for leave to appeal on other issues as well. On November 26, 2009, the Supreme Court of Canada granted this application for leave to appeal. The effect of this was to broaden the scope of Picton's appeal, allowing him to raise arguments that had been rejected before. On June 30, 2010, the Supreme Court rendered its decision dismissing Picton's appeal and affirming his convictions. Well, yeah, the fucking guy is guilty. Like, 
how can he say that he's not? His DNA and like you find all the all the women's property on his property and they are missing. Like it just doesn't make sense. The argument that Picton should be granted a new trial was rejected by the justices of the Supreme Court of Canada. BC's Crown spokesperson Neil McKenzie announced that the prosecution of Picton on the other 20 murder charges would likely be discontinued. Families of the victims had varied reactions to this announcement. Some were disappointed that Picton would never be convicted of the 20 other murders, while others were relieved that the gruesome details of the murders would not be aired in court. See, and I'm the kind of person that would want to know, like, what happened. Like, I want to stare this motherfucker down in court and be like, what did you do to my family member? And I want to know. But at the same time, like, I've obviously never been in that situation. So I don't know. Like, it would be very emotionally and mentally draining to, to go through that. At a press conference, Deputy Chief Constable Doug Lepard of the VPD apologized to the victim's families, saying, I wish from the bottom of my heart that we would have caught him sooner. I wish that the several agencies involved that we could have done better in so many ways. I wish that all the mistakes that were made, we could undo. And I wish that more lives would have been saved. So on my behalf and the behalf of the Vancouver Police Department and all the women and men that worked on this investigation, I would like to say to the families how sorry we are for your losses and because we did not catch this monster sooner. British Columbia Attorney General Michael D. Jong announced that a decision on whether to hold an inquiry would be made soon. Certain of the families of Picton's victims called for a public inquiry into the handling of the case. When Lepard apologized to the families, police also revealed that they believed there had been at least 16 other missing women for whose deaths Picton was responsible for. During a court hearing on August 4, 2010, Judge Williams stated that Picton should be committed to a federal penitentiary because up to this point, he was only being held at a provincial pretrial institution, which does not make fucking sense to me. Like, this guy has 27 murder charges on him. You know, like, why is he being held in a pretrial institution? Picton's charges for the other 20 women were stayed on August 4th, 2010. After Picton was arrested, many people started coming forward and talking to the police about what had taken place on the farm. One of the witnesses that came forward was Lynn Ellickson, who claimed to have seen Picton skinning a woman hanging from the meat hook years earlier and that she didn't want to tell anyone about it out of fear for losing her life. This fear would be justified, especially after Wendy um, was stabbed by Picton but managed to get away and even tell police. Yet before trial, all charges were dropped and nothing happened to Picton. So she was probably scared. I would be. In August 20, sorry, in August 2006, Thomas Ludemy, a 27-year-old Fremont, California resident, claimed that he had received three letters from Robert Picton in response to letters Ludemy sent under an assumed identity. In letters, Picton allegedly speaks with concerns about the expense of the investigation, asserts his innocence, quotes to the ref, quotes to the Bible, praises the trial judge and responds in detail to information in Ludemy's letters, which were written in the guise of Maya Barnett. 
a down-on-her-luck woman. The newsletters of the letter's existence was broken by the Vancouver Sun in, a, in an exclusive published on Saturday, September 2nd, 2006. And as of that date, neither law enforcement nor any representative of Picton has verified the authenticity. Has verified that the letters were from him. Because <laughs> I can't speak today. The Sun, however, has undertaken several actions to confirm that it is him. Ludmi claims not to have kept copies of his ongoing letters with Picton. As of September 4th, 2006, no information on their existence has ever been forthcoming from Picton or his representatives. Ludemy has a history of writing to accused and convicted criminals, in some instances under his own identity, and in others in the guise of a character he believes will be more rapidly accepted by the targets of the letters. He also is an inspiring journalist and claims that his motivation in releasing the letters is to help the public gain insight into Picton. So where is Picton today? He still says he's innocent, and he has written an alleged biography that he wrote in prison, and he is 72 years old today. So this man is going to die in prison, and he fucking should. It's, it's sad what happened to those people, to those women and men, apparently, because the DNA was found from both women and men. He obviously targeted sex workers because he thought that that they wouldn't be missed. And a lot of serial killers do that, right? Because their families, they don't think that anyone's going to go searching for them because they work on the street, so they're probably out working or doing whatever. But, yeah, it's sad. So that is what I have on Robert Willie Picton, you guys. He is a sick, disturbing man, and I hope that he lives out his life in prison thinking about the things that he fucking did. Because they are sad and they are bad. Um, so yeah, thanks guys. And I hope to see you next week.